Greetings and welcome to this very special edition of the Mr. Science Show, the podcast where science meets popular culture. Why is it special? Well, regular listeners will have already realised I'm not Mr. Science. With his permission, I'm stepping into his enormous shoes for an episode. Yes, that's right. It's Dr. Boob here from a lovely springtime sunny Boston filling in for Mr. Science. Rather than the usual Science of Superheroes segment, this time I'm going to take a foray into more general science fiction and we're going to take a look into the science of teleporting. Teleporting, basically the transfer of matter from one place to another more or less instantaneously. It's a pretty widely used concept in sci-fi, right from Star Trek, Doctor Who, uh, in movies, uh, The Fly, Jumper and even the Harry Potter series of films. Now let's get straight into the nitty-gritty actual science and actual teleportation has been achieved pretty recently by the Joint Quantum Institute or the JQI at the University of Maryland and the University of Michigan. It's a joint institute but they're not quite at the Star Trek transported level just yet. What they've managed to do is teleport information from one atom to another about three feet away so we're not quite at the level of spaceship down to the planet anyway so what did they actually do well they used a pair of ions or charged particles and uh, what they did was they put each of these in the vacuum kept them in position with electric fields and these are about three feet away from each other Then using an ultra-fast laser pulse, they triggered the atom to emit photons, or both atoms simultaneously. And if these photons interact in just the right way, their parent atoms can enter a quantum state known as entanglement, in which atom B adopts the properties of atom A, even though they're in separate chambers about three feet away. So when you measure atom A, the information which has previously been encoded on it disappears in accordance with the quirky rules of the quantum world which I don't really know anything about. But all is not lost because atom B is now entangled with A. And so B contains the information that was once carried on atom A. So that information has actually been teleported. But we're talking about atoms about three feet away from each other. That's not really what we want to do. We want to do some sci-fi teleporting, some serious stuff. So what are the possibilities here? Well, there's two methods. The first of which is dematerializing. And the, uh, the easiest example of this is the transporter from Star Trek and also from the movie The Fly, fantastic Jeff Goldblum film if you ever want to see it. So basically, a whole person or an object is dematerialized and transmitted, or as Scotty would say in Star Trek, beamed as data to a receiving device and reconstructed there. Although in Star Trek there wasn't really a receiving device to reconstruct the person or object, they were just reconstructed at the remote location. But let's just say for the sake of this conversation that we do have a receiving device. So at first glance, yeah, fair enough. Let's, uh, that seems feasible, I guess. But let's dig a little deeper and, and see what we can find out. So step one in the process, I guess, would be scanning the person to be transported. 
So in effect, we'd be converting a person, a living, breathing person, into data for transmission. So I'm imagining some sort of hotted up version of a CAT scan here with some serious high resolution images of the body. But in this instance, you'd really need to go that step further and get you know, atomic scale resolution of the human body, or possibly even subatomic. So really what you're looking at is you need enough precision with each scan for rematerializing. It's actually been calculated how much information storage is required. So uh, some wacky scientists worked out that 2.0057742 times 10 to the power of 45 bits is the number of bits of information required to perfectly recreate the average sized adult male human down to the quantum level on a computer. So basically 2 times 10 to the power of 45 bits. Uh, and now to put that in a bit of context, uh, one terabyte, you might have a, a hard drive with one terabyte storage on it, and that's about 10 to the power of 12 bits. So you'd need quite a few. So let's, let, let's assume that we've managed to convert our person to data. Then, interestingly enough, we could make some copies. Now that, to me, kind of fits the definition of human cloning, which is of course illegal and unethical and not condoned by anyone affiliated with the Mr. Science show. But then there's a few other things going on here as well. What happens if I'm a bit of a klutz and I accidentally delete this digital entity? Does that make me a murderer? Or does that depend on whether the digital form has already been reconverted, rematerialized into a person or not? Now we're going to send our digital copy from place A to place B. Well, that seems pretty fair enough. I mean, we've been managing to transfer information from place A to B through radio waves, microwaves, etc. for some time now. So I think we're fairly comfortable with that part of the process. So let's move on to rematerializing. And for this, I think we're going to need a really funky version of a 3D printer or something quite similar. So 3D printers are already commercially available, but they're a little limited for our purposes. Uh, at the moment, it tends to be just plastics, metals, easily workable metals, of course, or plaster as the, the template which your 3D printer can, can put together. And the human body is a little more complicated in terms of ingredients. And yes, okay, it's mostly water, but there's a lot of kind of fancy stuff in there as well. And if you're rematerializing an entire person, you're going to need every single cell to be made and everything inside a cell, like membranes, proteins, DNA, RNA. Everything's going to need to be put together to order in the same location, in the same state it was when it was scanned in. So this is a pretty uh, super duper 3D printer we're going to require. And the other thing is, I think it's going to have to work pretty quick. I don't imagine that if you started at the feet and then took three hours to get to the hips that the feet are going to be doing too well because you've got another few hours before you reach the heart and you can get some, some blood pumping, but then you can't really start the heart until you've got a complete circulatory system. So yeah, there's going to be some issues there. It's going to have to work pretty quick. So just building on that point a little bit, what happens 
you know, if you rematerialize the body, does that actually mean reanimation? In terms of you know, atomic composition, there's not a great deal of difference between a dead body and a living body, depending on the cause of death, obviously. But what we've assumed to this point is that the heart will beat again and the neurons will start firing up and everything will be just naturally going as it was before. And the other big assumption, I think, is that when we reassemble all the neurons and their connections to the appropriate neurons, that will, in fact, reassemble the memories and the personality of our person to be transported. Can, can our personality really be defined by connections between neurons? I guess, technically, maybe that is true. But then we're talking about someone's soul as well, aren't we? Yeah, it's a bit, bit of a grey area, this one. So let's just move on and not make any assumptions that, other than our 3D printer, which has been hotted up, works pretty well, and we can materialise a perfect copy, personality, memory, everything, just as it was before. It's reanimated fine, and it's all good. So we've managed to scan person in room A and convert them to data, send them off into room B, and make a perfect copy and it's happily working and functioning. Hang on a second. We've still got the original person in room A. You know, they're just standing there hanging out, they've just been scanned, and all of a sudden we've got two of them. So, what are we gonna do now? Do we dispose of the original? I mean, we've already talked that duplicating someone is, well, it's illegal. So what do we do with the original, you know? Is it murder if the person is still alive? Hmm. Perhaps people should uh, see another movie, The Prestige, um, if you haven't. Have a look at that. But while we were, I was uh, mulling over these ideas, I had, a, I had a thought about continuity of existence in terms of, let's say, we're going on a space trip and we're going to hang out around Alpha Centauri a while. Now that's a few light years travel away. So what about if we scan ourselves in, convert ourselves to a nice little digital copy, put ourselves on a flash drive, an enormous flash drive with 2 times 10 to the power of 45 space, and then put the flash drive on the spaceship, put it on cruise control, and away you go, and then when you're getting close to the destination, whoop, pop in the flash drive, reassemble yourself, and then you're good to go. So that's the end of my little discussion on teleporting using a machine and a sender and receiver type strategy. But there is another option that we can discuss here, and that's using wormholes. It's another science fiction staple, the wormhole. It's been in uh, the most recent Star Trek movie, pretty uh, starring role there. Also movies like Contact, uh, TV shows like Farscape, Babylon 5. 
even the third Transformers movie had a had a nice little wormhole in it. And wormholes obviously the central feature of the Stargate movie and TV shows. So what they are, in theory, is pretty much a tunnel. And just like any tunnel has two ends. And these ends are actually in different points in space-time. So if you walk in one end of a wormhole in room A, you can come out the other one in room B, which may happen to be on a different planet entirely. So let's go straight to the nub of the matter and say straight off the bat, at this point there is no observational evidence for wormholes whatsoever. But, there's always a but, on a theoretical level, there are valid solutions to the equations of the theory of general relativity which contain wormholes. So, yes, they're theoretically possible. My favourite scientific phrase. So, yeah, we're talking Einstein's theory of general relativity here, and uh, unfortunately from this point we're taking serious deep strides into the unknown, and unfortunately your guide is me, and I'm a very, very long way from my last physics class in 1994. So, here we go. The first type of wormhole solution that was discovered is known as the Schwarzschild wormhole, which would be present in the Schwarzschild metric. It's a great name, isn't it? Schwarzschild metric, which describes an eternal black hole. But this type of wormhole, which was found by Schwarzschild, would collapse too quickly, unfortunately, so nothing would be able to cross from one end to the other. So, wormholes that actually could be crossed are defined as traversable wormholes. And these are only possible if you can keep them open somehow. And the current theory is that you can do that with exotic matter, so matter with negative energy density, and you can stabilise a wormhole that way. So one of these is called the Lorentzian Traversable Wormhole. And this would allow travel from one part of the universe to another part very quickly, or even from one universe to another universe. And we're talking multiverses here, which is another episode entirely. But back to our traversable wormhole. And the possibility of this in general relativity was first demonstrated by Kip Thorne and Mike Morris in 1988. And so the traversable wormhole they proposed was held open by a spherical shell of exotic matter. And it's known because it was Kip and Mike, the Morris Thorne wormhole. And another version, a fairly similar uh, type of wormhole held open by negative mass cosmic strings, was put forward by Visser and Kramer. So there's a couple of theoretical solutions here that we might be able to run with. We just need to somehow harness these fantastic theoretical physics calculations, turn them into a machine or some sort of wormhole generator, keep them open with our negative energy material method, and that's the way forward for teleporting. I don't really know the specifics of the Large Hadron Collider, but I'm assuming that it could be used somehow to, to do all this. And I think the wormhole solution would be fantastic to get around a lot of those hairy ethical issues here about you know, cloning people and reanimation and soul transference, etc. But there is uh, one other point to go out with here in terms of wormholes. And I mentioned that they join different points in space-time. So that's space and time. Could we use our 
traversable wormholes for time travel. afraid that's all we have time for here on the Mr. Science Show this time. So unfortunately we're going to have to save time travel for another episode. Thanks very much for hanging around if you've made it this far. I've been Dr. Boob and it's been my pleasure to randomly chat to you about teleportation here on the Mr. Science Show, the podcast where science meets popular culture. So once again, thank you for joining us and if you want any more information on any of the topics that I've rambled on about, perhaps you need some serious physics, then you better check out the website at www.mrscienceshow.com. That's www.mrscienceshow.com. Thanks again and we'll catch you next time.